God, you threw the whole world a curveball when you showed us a kind of hope we'd never thought to look for. Born of poverty, between the walls of a rickety barn and into the fragile arms of a nervous young mom, Jesus arrived unable to defend himself, much less anyone else. We'd been hoping for security, and you gave us a baby. And then, the expectations kept being shattered. Jesus healed those who could do nothing for him. He handed out hope to people the world turned away. Jesus showed us a new way of life, a life that works from the inside out. Hope lives with us, then inside us, and moves from our hearts into the world. Jesus gave us hope beyond this life. Hope no one else has to give. Hope that shows up in a manger as a gift we don't deserve, but we gratefully receive. We call him Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. It's the first uh, Sunday of Advent. Remember the word Advent is from the Latin Adventus, meaning the arrival. And Advent has uh, two aspects. Uh, the first arrival is the arrival of Jesus. That over 2,000 years ago, God came to this earth. He took on skin and bones. He experienced hunger and weakness. God, Emmanuel, God is with us. The reason that God is with us is that in the midst of darkness, in the midst of sin, in the midst of judgment, Jesus, the light of the world, came to give us hope. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope, that through the advent, through the arrival of Jesus, we have a living hope and that we have been born again. And we look forward to his second advent, Jesus, our hope. And we bless him and we worship him because he has come into this world and we look forward to his return. Advent uh, 2022. We're going to take these next uh, five weeks leading up to our Christmas Eve service. We're going to take one aspect of who Jesus is and the birth and the arrival or the advent of Jesus the first time. And through the first advent, we look forward with anticipation and expectation his return. And so when you open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, today we're going to talk about the advent of hope or the comfort of hope. Uh, the series is called Comfort and Joy. And if this sounds familiar at all, it's from the refrain, 
for the chorus of God rest ye merry gentlemen. He has come to bring comfort and joy, comfort and joy. And really, have you considered this lyrics to songs? You know, there's a lot of hidden meanings uh, to popular songs or to pop songs. For example, uh, if you look at, uh, if you've heard the song, Born in the USA, right, by uh, Bruce Springsteen, the boss, the irony of that, that song is not actually a patriotic song that, you know, Ronald Reagan's used it, President Trump has used it, but the song Born in the USA is actually a protest anthem from the point of view of a Vietnam vet. Uh, this this uh, Born in the USA it was based on a book by Ron Kovic uh, called Born on the Fourth of July and how he served in Vietnam vet. He served in Vietnam. So isn't that crazy? And we have no idea what we're singing, but it actually has the opposite effect. Or, you know, that song Closing Time by Semisonic. And if you watch The Office, you know, Stanley talks about he loves singing that song Closing Time. But that song is not actually about the bar being closed, like it's closing time. The singer and the composer Dan Wilson was referring to his wife's womb and his impending fatherhood. It's not about a bar closing up. Or uh, the Beatles, right? The Beatles, they have a song called Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. For a long time, a lot of people have said uh, Lucy with the Sky of Diamonds, Lucy L sky s and d diamond lsd like people thought the beatles were talking about drugs but really in actuality uh, john lennon's oldest son julian came home from preschool one day with a drawing he made with his classmate lucy and his diamonds on the sky above her so that's what it really means and if you've ever sung or if you've ever listened to Christmas music that is played at the mall or sung on the radio some of the Christmas carols they present like hardcore le legitimate robust theology they have like real strong doctrine in it like even the animated series right of or the movie of uh, Dr. Seuss the Grinch the carolers of Whoville are singing the song, God rest ye merry gentlemen. And this might just seem like another Christmas song, but think about it. It's a fictional world filled with animated characters, but they're singing, remember Christ our savior was born on Christmas day to save us all from Satan's power. Man, such a powerful doctrine presented in a movie that has nothing to do with Jesus. And this unconscious presentation of the gospel, it's something that we think about. And, and what I want us to consider and contemplate on this um, Advent series of comfort and joy, God rest. The word rest there, it's, it's, not, um, the, it's not the German word for rest right, of seizing from work, it's actually from Latin, restare, meaning it's to remain or to continue, almost like abide. Abide, God rest, ye merry gentlemen, because Christ has been born this Christmas day, and he's come to bring comfort and joy. And I want us to 
really, we're going to frame our series of Advent with this idea of comfort and joy, that through Jesus being hope and joy and peace and love and Christ, that he has come to bring comfort and joy. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 1. Comfort, comfort for my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, referring to John the Baptist, make straight in the desert a highway to our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, then even ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, if there's any ever a time that we need comfort and joy, it's during this holiday season. Maybe this year has brought pain and grief and death and sorrow, and we need the comfort of Jesus. We need the joy that is in the Lord. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would stir our hearts, that you would stir our affections, that we would hunger for your word. I pray as we have gathered in the name of Jesus that you would meet us right where we're at. I pray, O oh Lord God, that um, that we will be changed, that we'll be transformed uh, through the proclamation of the gospel of the Word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I just want to get straight to the point here about the comfort of hope. In Isaiah chapter 40, I just want to have two meditation points for us. The first is this, that God is gracious to provide present comfort in our current suffering. God, the Father, Yahweh, He is gracious to provide present comfort in our current or our present suffering. God is gracious. You see, we, or Israel, we, the people of God, we are the ones that have failed. We're the ones that miss the mark. We're the ones that compromise. We're the ones that um, follow and fall into idolatry. We're the ones that have disobeyed. But God is the God who is gracious to us, that he would provide comfort even in the midst of our suffering that we caused upon ourselves. When we have these self-inflicted wounds, when we pay for the consequences and the penalty of our sins, God is gracious and he provides in our present suffering, he provides comfort and hope. I remember growing up as a kid, you know, I, I would disobey my dad. I would tell him, no, take a nap. I would, when he would fall asleep, I would... You know, his arm was around me, and I would lift up his arm, and I would disobey, wouldn't take a nap, and I would run off and play in the mud, climb up trees, you know, and just be a kid. 
and my dad, I would be in trouble. And so my dad, there was this Tagalog word, the uh, pa means to lay down, which means uh, for us growing up, we have to lay down flat, face down, and expose, pull down our, our bebedees, expose our butt cheeks, and my dad would follow. He would whip us with his belt. And oftentimes, it was my fault for not listening. It was my fault for disobeying. And I would be so angry and so upset. And I'd be so hurt. And have you ever had those cries when you were a kid? You were, <laughs> and you, you, you couldn't breathe. And, and my dad would have the grace that even though I'm the one that rebelled and disobeyed him, and I, I would have a hard time breathing, he would give water to soothe my thirst to give me water to calm my soul it's like it's all right anak meaning son i love you i love you and this is kind of like the uh the word picture that i want us to think about because israel here they because they have disobeyed god because they compromised because they fell into idolatry god had to exile them and this idea of comfort and comfort my people for us to understand the meaning of a text, remember context plus content equals meaning. What does this verse mean for them back then and for us now? What is the, we want to exegete a text, meaning we want to read from the text, not read into it. And what did it mean back then? The context of Isaiah chapter 40, look at verse 39, just a chapter before. It says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you whom you will father shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the place of the king of Babylon. It says all in your house, every single person in your household, because you've sinned against me, because you have committed syncretism. Syncretism is meaning is mixing up the worship of God with um, Molech or with Baal. It's idolatry. It's Jesus plus, essentially. Because they fell into syncretism, because they disobeyed, they're intermarried, they worshiped other gods. Because of their idolatrous hearts and their disobedient actions, God exiled them to Babylon. He says, everyone in your house, you guys will spend 70 years in Babylon. And your, and your kids, your sons, whom you will father, they will be eunuchs. You know what eunuchs? Uh, it means that they were castrated so that they would be faithful to the king and they will, you know, fall and fall in love with the queen. And eunuchs were trusted and they were to serve the courts. So the posterity or the future generations of your children, they're going to be no more because they will, get, they will become eunuchs. And you guys are going to suffer for 70 years. In Isaiah 39, 5 through 7, uh, God declared and pro uh, prophesied and told them, you guys will be exiled. And 
from Isaiah 39 to Isaiah 40, about 150 years, scholars are saying, uh, 150 years have passed. And during that painful, God muted, a God muted time where God was silent, a great deal happened to Judah. There was the disastrous reign of Manasseh. There was the reformative reign of Josiah, who was a good king. Um, Babylon became the superpower, and inexplicably, uh, King Josiah passed away. But most of all, during this time, as the people were being exiled for 70 years because of their own sin, there was a destruction of Jerusalem. The temple was torn down. The raising of the city and the burning of the temple, the termination of the dynasty, there would be no more kings in Israel and they would be deported to Babylon. There was this long period of dislocation during which the exiles voiced their grief and this dismay. The book of Lamentations where the people of God lament for their suffering, self-inflicted wounds because of their disobedience to God. Look what uh, Lamentations 1. This is a contemporary of Isaiah. It's about the same time. She, many Israel, or God's people, weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has no one to comfort her. Her downfall was appalling with none to comfort her in verse 9. Look at verse 17, Lamentation 1. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. Verse 21, they heard how I was groaning with no one to comfort me. The people of God, they groaned, they cried out almost to like an empty sky. And four times in Lamentations chapter 1, it says there was, no, there was none zip zilch zilch not a zero not one was able to comfort them no protector no one to intervene no one powerful enough to make a positive difference and for too long judah in this location they experienced this extended and bereft of possibility of hope and after isaiah 39 5 through 7 the book of Isaiah requires this long, hopeless wait until chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1, says, Comfort, comfort my people. Tell them their weight, their hardship is pow, their hardship is over with. You know, the psalmist says um, that even though his, his anger, the anger of the Lord, is short while joy comes in the morning and in the midst of judgment God is gracious to to provide and to give the people comfort and hope in chapter 40 at long last when all seemed lost the Holy One of Israel speaks this oracle of the voice of Yahweh breaks the silence of the exile and transforms the direction, the trajectory, and the fortunes of Judah. And so the speech 
Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people. It breaks the despair of Judah and the power of Babylon. It penetrates the emptiness of exile and fills the world of Judaism with possibilities unanticipated but now available in divine grace. God speaks an imperative in the midst of a long silence of exile. God decrees comfort where there had been no one to comfort. See, God is gracious that he won't leave you in the lurch. God is abounding in steadfast love. He's slow to anger. He forgives the iniquities of generation to generation. You never have to wonder if God loves you or if God has a plan and a purpose for you because even in the midst of me and you suffering in our, for our own sin or maybe people sinned against us and have spoken against us and have betrayed us and have gone against us, God speaks comfort to give you hope. God reveals himself through his word and we have a present hope and the people of God, they have the substance that Christ, that there's going to be through the line of David, he will set us free. And the power of sin is broken. And the king, this present evil age will be broken. And the kingdom of God will be here now through the advent or through the arrival of Jesus. From Isaiah 39 and 40 to where you're at, have you ever wondered if your sins have caught up to you? Or are you currently suffering from the mistakes of your past? Have you ever wondered, like, man, like, if I didn't disobey God, this would not have happened. Even in my own life, you know, going through financial struggles and I did not give high school a try. Like the night I was taking SAT, I was supposed to take the SAT the night before. I was up till three in the morning, hanging at Denny's, watching movies. I was at my friend's house, slept three hours, woke up, took the SATs, never studied for the SATs. I mean, I got a thousand, you know, which was pretty decent back then. and. And I, and I wonder, like, Lord, um, am I suffering from my mistakes? For some of us, um, maybe it's the, the pain of a miscarriage. Maybe it's the pain of even uh, infertility. Maybe it's the pain of um, your BC days. You know BC before Christ? During those times when you disobeyed God, you did your own thing, you raised your kids however they wanted to, you didn't raise them according to the ways of the Lord, and maybe your kids right now are not walking with God, and you feel like hopeless, and you feel like God is angry, and you feel like God is punishing you and is silent. But I can I tell you right now, through the authority of God's word, that God is gracious that he would give you comfort and joy in the midst of your own doing. 
this self-inflicted wound, this self-inflicted punishment and judgment and the consequences of our disobedience. We might go through it right now, just like the people of God, Israel. But there's hope in Jesus. God graciously gives you comfort that you might pay for the consequences of your sin now, but you don't have to pay for the consequences of your sin when you die because Jesus died your death at the cross. You are not forsaken because through the birth and through the advent of Jesus, he was forsaken for you at the cross when he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Over 20 times in the Gospels, Jesus calls, Jesus prays, and every time he prays, he says, my father. Only at the cross, when he took on sin, when he took on my sin, my disobedience, my punishment that I deserve, my forsakenness that I should be forsaken by God. Jesus took it at the cross and he paid for it. He was forsaken so that you will never be forsaken now. If you believe in him, if, if you put your faith, trust, and if you go all in and put your hope in Jesus. So I encourage you, God is gracious that he gives hope presently now. He is present, Emmanuel, God is with us. And he's gonna bring comfort. First Corinthians one, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercies and the Father of all comfort. May you allow the comfort of the Father to just embrace you right now. You have been forgiven. You have been set free. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He wants to redeem you. He wants to restore what the enemy intended for evil. God will turn it around for good because he is gracious, he is kind, he is loving, he is your Heavenly Father. And number two, um, would you write this down, that God's past faithfulness motivates hope for the future. God's past faithfulness motivates hope for the future. In other words, this word hope, it's something Hebrew says that we, it's a something, it's substance, um, things hope for. We cannot see it but it is choosing to put our faith and trust in a person which is God. Hope is really important concept in the Bible and there are many words for hope in, ancient, in the ancient languages of the Bible and they're all fascinating, but there are two main words of hope in the Old Testament. The first is uh, yakal, which means to wait for. It's like the story of Noah and the ark. As the flood waters recede, Noah had to yakal for weeks. He had to wait for a, a period of time. The, uh, the other uh, Hebrew word is uh, kava, which also means to wait, but it's, the re it's related to this Hebrew word kav, which means a cord. So when you pull a cord, you pull it, when you pull a, a cob tight or a cord tight, 
you produce a tension until there is release. So that is kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. <coughs> now the prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavas, or he waits with tension and anticipation for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who so both kava and yakal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. All this to say is this, this advent of hope, this uh, comfort of hope is not just optimism because biblical hope is, burst, is based on a person. Optimism is choosing to see any situation and it's going to work out for the best. But that is not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is not focused on a circumstance. Biblical hope is not focused on an outcome. Biblical hope is focused on a person, which is God. And so oftentimes in the Bible, when they knew that things were, were going to get worse and things weren't going to get better, they still anticipated and they still put their hope in God because God is faithful. God has a perfect track record. His past faithfulness motivates hope for the future. Uh, I've heard psychologists say that the best indication of future behavior is past behavior. So in other words, God perfect track record, of, track record of faithfulness. God has not failed. God does not fail. God will never, ever fail. God is loving. He's gracious. He's kind. He provided. He set Israel free. He provided uh, water and manna in the desert. He became a pillar of fire by day or by night, a pillar of cloud during the day that even in the midst of the exile, God spoke, you know, from uh, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, uh, to, to Matthew, it's the intertestamental period, they call it, between the Testaments, it's 500 years of silence. And God, through John the Baptist, quoting Isaiah chapter 40, in the wilderness, one cries out, make way for the way of the Lord. And as I wrap this up, um, it's often been said that Christmas is the great magnifier. What do I mean by that? If things are good in your life, then Christmas tends to magnify that goodness. That which is good, it seems better. A good family seems great. A good party seems fantastic. It magnifies. A good memory becomes even better. Christmas magnifies or amplifies the good. But unfortunately, Christmas also magnifies what is difficult. So if you're struggling financially, Christmas season can almost make the struggle seem more, financial struggle seem more intense. A challenged relationship with extended families never 
fun, but it's even more accentuated and magnified during Christmas. If you battle with loneliness, Christmas time may be the loneliest time of all. Why am I saying all this? Because right now, you might not be going through a difficult season, uh, a hard season. You might not be suffering. You might be, you might be, it's all good in the hood like Tiger Woods, like everything is awesome. But as we have gone through Thanksgiving, and you know, we usually go around in Thanksgiving table, what are you thankful for? If, if you're just thankful for good health, if you're thankful for friends, if you're thankful for family, if you're thankful for roof over your head, these are all good things. But maybe this is where you put your hope in and not in God. If your thankfulness, I'm not saying this is a litmus test, but it can expose um, an area in our life where we make things in our lives, good things in our lives as idols. We're running out of time. So uh, Tim Keller says that there are uh, four main idols, source idols in our lives, which are basically control, comfort, approval, and power. And maybe we'll can go through it next week, but what I want us to think about and to pray about this week is that you might not be suffering, but there might be comfort, might be your idol, and you put your hope in comfort, you put your hope in control, you put your hope in power, you put your hope in approval and people-pleasing, and we made idols of that. But I encourage you, church, as this first week of Advent, put your hope in the arrival of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, we worship you, we just ask, oh Lord God, that during this Advent that you would work in each one of our hearts. Would you do uh, heart surgery, oh Lord God? Would you take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh? And so, Lord, I pray for transformation from the inside out. That it would be more like you in everything that we do. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we love you guys. Thank you so much for joining us this Advent of hope in our series, Comfort and Joy. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Love you. Have an amazing week. Take care.